All right, good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us here at North Lake Bible Church for our equip hour. Um, if you can hear my voice and, and you're not in a place where you can look and see me, that means that you're enjoying delicious coffee and you can find your way to the equip hour, you can find your way to your station at the volunteers and the children's ministry. There's plenty of places for you to find yourself. No, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, as you make your way in, there are outlines in the back, so feel free to grab those. As always, here at North Lake Bible Church, we hold to a high view of God and a high view of Scripture, which means we come here to ask the question, what does the Bible say? And today we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say from James chapter 1, verse 9? And uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer this morning. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we pray this morning that you would give us um, ears to hear, hearts to understand, that are quick to repent. That as we are pierced through with your word, Father, that we would follow after you in, in obedience. And so this morning, I just pray that uh, as we come here and, and we lay aside the distractions of the week and of the weekend, that we would hear your word clearly and that we would see how we can follow hard after you, especially through trials from without. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in James, James chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. And while you're doing so, we're going to start with our first audience participation of the day. And James, uh, Joseph is ready for us over here. He told me when he walked in, he's like, I'm ready. I'm ready for the questions. So the first question before we get started, and I feel louder, and maybe I am louder. That's okay. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, the first question is... I need someone to share with me the last time you were engaged in a conversation and somewhere in the middle of that conversation, one of the parties in that conversation said, you just don't understand. What was the last time you had a conversation in which that was said? I saw a hand wave in the back. No, he was waving to somebody. All right. You just don't understand. Okay, and, and this was you communicating to your nine-year-old. Yeah, so Drew's communicating to his nine-year-old, telling them they just don't understand. Oh, that was their response to you. Okay, the nine-year-old was like, Dad, I just don't understand. Right, okay, all right, very good. Anyone else, you just don't understand. Justin. I had a friend who recently lost his job, and he's been kind of struggling to find a new one. And uh, very similarly, I just got out of that, and I was trying to encourage him in the Word. He says, no, you just don't understand. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you just don't understand. A guy is going through career challenges, trying to find work, and he's like, you just don't understand. I remember as a young man, um, because I was such a perfect, holy young man, that I never, ever looked at my mom and dad in the face and told my dad, you just don't understand. But that happened once or twice or half a dozen, dozen, two or three times, right? I just told my dad, you don't understand. Maybe you said that to a spouse this week. Maybe you said that to a kid or a parent this week. Maybe you said it to a coworker this week. You just don't understand. As we look in the book of James, we're going to see that there are trials of various kinds. And we are quick sometimes to say, you don't understand. But if we understand God's word clearly, we will say that first off, we never get to say that to God. We don't get to say, God, you don't understand my situation. I mean, if you did, you would like, there would be allowances for what's going on. No, we don't get to say that to God. But also we see in here that regardless of our circumstances, there are some commands that are given to all believers, 
regardless of our circumstances. The you just don't understand doesn't play out when God is giving a command to his children. James chapter one, verse one. We're gonna bring ourselves back up to speed here. James 1.1 reminds us that James, if you're just joining us for the first time, is writing to a group of believers that are dispersed abroad, right? He's writing to a group of believers that are dispersed abroad. And in case you're wondering, it isn't because they wanted to live in the countryside. Okay, it isn't because Starlink is here and their office authorized remote work and they're like, you know what? I would love to be dispersed abroad and telecommute and get it going. No, these believers are dispersed abroad because they are suffering trials, verse two. Verse three, those trials are testing their faith to produce endurance. Verse five, they are suffering from a lack of wisdom to know how to address all those trials. And so they are asking God in faith without any doubting. And that brings us to verse Nine. So we see that this passage, the main idea for this whole passage is that the trials of life are God's tools to refine us and to produce in us Christian maturity. As Wade has been teaching through this passage, he's been showing us five insights in how to respond to trials as James outlines it here. The first one is develop the right attitude toward trials. We saw that in verse two, James said, consider it all joy. And we must have joy as we approach our trials because our contentment, our emotions, our attitudes are not dictated by our circumstances or our trials, they're dictated by our savior. And so if we do not commit to consider it all joy, we're gonna find ourselves in the midst of trials and we're gonna be struggling to obey God. We're gonna be struggling to manifest that fruit of the spirit that is joy. Secondly, Wade reminded us that we are supposed to recognize the good results of trials. We see that in verses three and four, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And although I should have known this, I think I was really struck the last couple of weeks as we were being led through this passage, that that end of verse four, that perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Actually, quick, quick participation exercise. I need a show of hands. How many of you would put yourselves very near, close to, or in the perfect and complete lacking in nothing bucket this morning? When you're going through trials, temptations, you're like, I think I got the perfect and complete lacking nothing. I don't know about you, but like I am so far from it. And what I was reminded from scripture is, is that that is why God is continuing to assail me with trials is because he loves me and he's refining me. And I am so far from lacking in nothing. And he's like, Ben, we got to get you closer, bro. We need to conform you more to the image of Christ. And we're going to do that through the word of God. So it should not be a surprise for us that trials are here, that endurance is here because God is refining us and he's making us more like his son. The third insight we see is that we ask God for wisdom to deal with trials. Verses five through eight, we ask God for wisdom to deal with our trials. If you're anything like me, occasionally you wake up and you say, I don't know what to do, right? I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm in the midst of a circumstance and things are going on and I don't know what to do. And maybe you're here today and saying, God, I don't know what to do with my career. I don't know what to do with this health diagnosis. I don't know what to do with this child that isn't acting the way I wanted them to. I don't know what to do with this parent. And so we ask God for wisdom to, in all of these decisions. And then that brings us to verse nine this morning, a fourth way that we should respond to trials. And that is that we glory in our spiritual position, glory in your spiritual position. Let's read together James chapter one, verse nine. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind 
and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love them. Verse nine starts with the word but, or at least it does in our English Bibles and it's a conjunction and it ties us to what happens before. You see in verse eight, it says that we need wisdom, but we, we can't be like the double-minded man, man, unstable in all his ways, right? So in verse nine, there's this contrast, there's this but, it's connecting a double-minded, unstable man who doesn't know where his foundation is, he doesn't know what he is firm in, into verse nine where he says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory, to boast, to put his confidence in his high position. In contrast to the double-minded, unstable man, we should be single-minded, we should glory in our spiritual position. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory. This word could also mean boast in his high position. So as we're thinking about that this morning, as you think about the trials that are facing you, when those things come upon you and you need to put your confidence in something, what do you glory in? What do you boast in? What do you put your confidence in? Where do we go as humans? Where is our confidence in boasting? Give me some examples. As humans, where do we put our boast and glory and confidence? Success. success. Yeah. When success is there, whoo, we're confident. When we miss the mark, we're struggling. What else? Our kids. Yeah. The way our kids turn out. They're, they're a reflection of who we are. We want them to be a certain way, and when they're not, we struggle in that. I heard words over here. Reciprocity. We boast in reciprocity. Oh, okay, so, so when we do something for someone, we want them to do that back, right? Like we, we would like to see that in return. Man, that's, that's a hard one, right? Because sometimes, you know, scripture says we should not give to those who can give and we should give to those who cannot, right? Like that is what it means to be like Christ is that we, we are the ones that are leading the way in giving. We are the ones who are leading the way in serving. But when we do something for someone else and it doesn't come back, man, we're like, whoa, what, what was wrong with me? Like... I said hi to them, they didn't say hi to me. I invited them over, they didn't invite me over. Like, what's going on? Do I smell? Did I shower? Like, but that, that breaks our confidence, right? What else? Any other ways that we put or boast our confidence? I think just natural God-given strength. We think God is really good about it. Okay, so just the, the, oh, the, the talents and the strengths that God has given us. Yeah, and some of, like, you, you play the instrument very lovely. I play instruments very poorly. So I don't have to struggle with that, or maybe I do, but yeah, the talents that we've been given, the skills that we've been given, the way that God has made us, we take those and we glory in those, and that's just what God has given us. By the way, that's a great lead-in to where we're going here, right? Pastor Dusty, you may not have heard him say this. I know, I believe I've heard him mention it recently. He says, what do we do when the thing that we put our security or confidence in is threatened? How do we respond when that thing that we've put our confidence in is threatened? If we put our confidence in our success and our success is threatened, what happens inside us? What happens in our heart? What happens to our confidence and faith in God? If we put our confidence in our kids, as Joseph mentioned, and our kids don't turn out the way we think, is our confidence in God shaken? You know, the great thing is, is that if our boast and our glory is in Jesus Christ, it is never threatened. Let me say that again. If our glory and our boast is in Jesus Christ, it is never threatened. 
we glory in our spiritual position. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. That word boast in, in the Greek version of a Greek copy of the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, is the same word glory that we see here in James. We can put our boasts in wisdom, riches, wealth, might, all of those things, or we can put our glory in our spiritual position in Jesus Christ. The brother of humble circumstances is called to glory in his high position, to have confidence in. We do not boast in all those other things. Regardless of our socioeconomic state this morning, regardless of our financial state, regardless of our relationship status this morning, regardless of our children or anything else, we boast in our exalted position. We glory in Christ Jesus. That is what James called the believers to do. Amen. And we see that to glory in our spiritual position is to recognize first that our spiritual position is transcendent. Verse 9, our spiritual position is transcendent, but the brother of humble circumstances. The, the Greek lexicon writes, this is a lowliness of position or of power, of esteem, to be poor, to be lowly, to be undistinguished of no account, no rank, no worth. Now you may have walked in here today thinking that all of those things that we were sharing earlier that we should be boasting in, that we should be confident in as humans sinful humans perhaps, they're not going the way that you wanted them to. You may be coming here this morning and you are struggling with your worth. You are saying, Lord, today I'm feeling lowly. Today I'm feeling of no account. I'm feeling of no rank. I'm feeling of no worth. Maybe your relationship with that significant other, that spouse isn't going the way that you thought it would. Maybe your job when you started 2023 to now isn't going the way that you thought it would. Maybe your house is not going the way that you thought it would. Your friendships are not going the way that you thought they would. And you are sitting here today and you are thinking that because of those things, you are lowly. I will tell you, scripture declares that this morning you and I need to boast in Christ. We need to boast in Christ. He is everything that we need today. All of those other things are fleeting. We're going to see in a moment that the sun is going to roast them all. They're going to wither away. But God is sure. His word is sure. Jesus Christ is sure. And today you can put your faith in him. James 2.5 says this. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love them? Heirs of the kingdom. If you are here today and you are in Christ and you are struggling with your lowliness, it is because for a moment you and I have taken our eyes off God's word and we have forgotten that he has made us heirs of the kingdom. That is your worth right now today if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there is no circumstance that you woke up to today or that you will find out about tomorrow that is going to threaten that. Because that is in the hand of our creator, of our savior heirs of the kingdom, the eternal God of the universe, the one who blesses you with the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He has given us a transcendent position in Jesus Christ. It transcends our earthly circumstances. It transcends our earthly state. The ESV and NKJV use the word exaltation instead of high position. 
glory in your exaltation. This is about a heavenly position. This is not an earthly thing. Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That is your worth this morning if you have put your faith and trust in Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that's the suffering, that's the perseverance, that's the testing of our faith, so that we may also be glorified with him. Listen to this, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you are here this morning and you think I'm feeling lowly, I am feeling like that brother of humble circumstances, Christ says to you, your circumstances are not worthy to be compared. They're not even on the same plane to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are to glory today. We are to boast today. We are to have confidence today in our spiritual position and our high position in Jesus Christ. And everyone is listening to that and they're thinking, well, that sounds great. We should totally do that. Like we should totally glory and boast in Jesus Christ. But what does that look like? Maybe a few of you share, what does it mean for us practically to put our glory and boast in Jesus Christ this week? Contentment. Contentment. Yeah. Honored him with our obedience. What else? No condemnation for those that are in Christ. Just remind ourselves of his word and that there's no condemnation. Amen. Thanks, Mary. Tim. Might look I'm sorry? It might, it might look suspicious. Our boasting in Jesus Christ? Yes. What else? Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? Yeah. Philippians 4, we come to him when we're anxious with an attitude of thanksgiving because when we remind ourselves of what he has done, then we remind ourselves that he will continue to do as he's promised. Thanksgiving. What else? Yeah. Yeah, go to his word first, right? We're like, hey, maybe I'll try a few other things. If that doesn't work out, like, oh, there's this book here that's an enduring and unfading and perfect everything we need for life and godliness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we wait until things are going really poorly and they're like, oh, you know what, I should pray about that, right? We glory in Christ Jesus when we think of him first. We meditate on him first. He says, the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Now, as we transition to verse 10, I've got to make a couple of technical comments that I usually try and avoid, but I think it's necessary to understand what's going on here. So first comment, number one, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. The word glory is a verb. That verb in the Greek New Testament is at the very beginning of the sentence. If you know anything about Greek, that's not too surprising to you because you've heard before that sometimes those words go at the beginning of a sentence for emphasis. All right, store that in your minds. Glory is at the beginning of verse 9. Verse 10, if you have an NASB, the word glory is in italics. What does that mean? That means that the translators knew that you and I only understand English grammar. They needed to help us out, so they stuck the word glory in there. It's not really there. So there's one verb, glory. It's at the beginning of verse 9. All right, humming right along. The second thing that we have to realize is, but the brother, the word brother is a noun that means brother or fellow believer in Jesus Christ. The phrase humble circumstances is an adjective, 
Okay, we're doing good now. Verse 10, the rich man is also an adjective in the original language. Now, why do I spend all the time saying that? I know I just got a funny look over here. You can go online, find the study tools and, and confirm it later. Because there's one verb, there's one noun, two adjectives, two kinds of brothers in Jesus Christ in this passage. But the verb is the same, the command is the same, the type of people are the same, but they are suffering various trials. They are going through various life circumstances, right? So what does all this mean? It means that when you say boast then, is maybe uh, uh, if you were trying to boast then, glory then brother, glory then brother, glory then fellow believer in your humble circumstances, you could also say glory then brother of rich circumstances in your humiliation. Glory then brother, if you be poor or you be rich in your position in Jesus Christ. By the way, it's interesting that that word humiliation in verse 10 is also a variant of the word humble circumstances in verse nine. I like to think that it is James saying, glory then brother of humble circumstances in your exalted position in Jesus Christ and glory then brother of rich circumstances just like the brother of humble circumstances in the same way because your glory is in Jesus Christ. Whether you've got I'm a visual person, right? So you've got brother of humble circumstances. You've got like brother of rich circumstances right here, right? And then somewhere up here, you have glory in Jesus Christ, right? We have a transcendent position. We like to quibble in our humanness about things going on down here. And God says, no, whether you are poor or you are rich, none of that matters in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ transcends all of that. If your glory is in any of these things, you're missing the boat. Your glory needs to be in Jesus Christ. Boast then, brother of rich circumstances, in your humiliation. You man of wealth, you man of abundance. First Timothy 6 says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. If you are here today, it doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. If your glory is not in Jesus Christ, your glory is in the wrong place. By the way, if if you're like me, you may have over the course of your life heard a phrase something like this. My father would sometimes say this, and if he listens to this one day, he will slander me later. But he said, sometimes, Ben, he's like, you just have to throw money at the problem. Right? And, and sometimes for those that, that they, they live in a certain, and that's, you know, usually he says that when I've torn my car apart and I can't figure out how to put it back together or something like that, which has happened once or twice in my life. Um, but, but see, we put our confidence in our riches to save us from circumstances. And God says, no, we put our confidence in Jesus Christ. Our security is not in that. It says we don't fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. And my guess is that that is very poignant for some of you today. Some of you today, you started 2023 thinking that this was gonna go a certain way. Your career, your account, your portfolio, your job, something else. And today you are waking up and you're like, you know, this isn't where I thought I was gonna be right now, Lord. And it's shaking my faith. It's a trial that I'm struggling with right now. And I need to put my glory in Jesus Christ. 
You know, because it is when we recognize that our spiritual position is transcendent, we also recognize that our earthly position is transient. We see that in verses 10 and 11. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. You know, the rich doesn't get to say, hey, look what I've done. The rich doesn't get to say, hey, look, take pride in me. The rich doesn't get to say, hey, I've got another zero at the end of my bank account than my other brother does. And so somehow, Lord, look on me with favor. That does not procure any more favor with our God. He is not looking at those things. He is looking at whether you have put your faith and trust in him, not only for our eternal salvation, but for confidence as we move through the trials of this life. Our earthly position is transient. Back to our example, our earthly position is down here. Whether we have low circumstances, rich circumstances, whatever, God is here. Our mathematician friends would tell us that that is on a different plane. We don't get to, remember it says, we don't get to compare those things together. They're not worthy to be compared. The trials of this life are not worthy to be compared with a transcendent God. We glory in him, recognizing that our earthly position is transient. Just like the brother of humble circumstances, God calls the rich brother also to glory in his position in Christ because even what he has is transient by comparison. Goes on to say in verse 10, he says, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. You see the earthly state and circumstances of this rich brother are gonna pass away. The earthly state and circumstances of this rich brother will pass away. Matthew 24, 35 reminds us, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Whatever we have stored up on this earth is going to pass away. It can be a lot, it can be a little. If they are earthly things, they're passing away. Psalm 103, 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. When the wind has passed over. I don't know about you, but we had some winds last night. The winds have decided that they like to take things off of my roof called shingles and put them next to my house so I can look at them in the morning. And, uh, and that's great. But see, I have put my faith in these earthly things. I'm like, this thing's going to be great. It's going to hold together. Oh, that's interesting. You know what did that? It was a thing called wind. Ooh, wind. That sounds impressive. I should be able to somehow control that in my, my wisdom and my power and my might. And God says, oh, no, Ben. Oh, no. First Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Now let me pause for a minute and say, if you're sitting here and you're saying, Ben, I don't know what this spiritual position is you're talking about. Those words sound nice, but I don't, I don't know what that is. Because you see, everything in my life right now is fading. Everything is passing away. There is nothing that is enduring. Everything that I thought was sure and steadfast is crumbling. And it's all going exactly the opposite way of what I thought it was going to. And right now I can't see clearly, my eyes are blurred and I just don't know what's going on. God's word says that this is the living and enduring word of God. This right here. It is the living and enduring word of God because in it is an eternal offer of salvation from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To put your faith and trust in his son Jesus Christ to secure an inheritance that he says in 1 Peter is imperishable 
There's going to be things that are going to pass and fade away. That inheritance in Jesus Christ, not one of those things. Peter goes on to write in 124, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. We don't get our false security, our conceitedness and our hope in the things of this life. The rich are no more protected than the humble and lowly when God reigns on the earth, when his wind blows, when his sun rises. S-U-N. Verse 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind. The sun rises with a scorching wind. The psalmist speaks of the sun this way in Psalm 19.6. He says, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. In 2007, I believe that was true about Texas. And so my wife and I decided to leave Texas and go to another state. And we hid ourselves from the heat of the sun and found the wrath of the snow uh, in northern Indiana. But when God says there is nothing hidden from the heat of his son, there is no way that me in my wealth or my riches or my wisdom can somehow hide myself from God. I can shield myself or protect myself from the almighty God. Your intellect, your skill set, you cannot, you cannot dodge it. You cannot get around it. You cannot buy your way out of it. God has says that there are trials of this life and they come upon those who are poor and those who are rich. And he says in any of those, you do not rest in what you have. You rest in your faith in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 11, the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. Some of us age. If you don't, we should talk later. We get age spots, we get wrinkles, we get crow's feet. By the way, some of us have receding hairlines. I have three brothers and recently uh, in the past couple of years, we happen to all be in the same place. I'm not the youngest of my brothers, but when we took a picture like this, I did not have the fastest receding hairline because God is so good to me. <laughs> I actually think it's just because I have a receding hairline, but my receding hairline is lazy like myself. And so it's like, hey, I was going to recede, but I just, I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't get off the couch today to recede. Like, we're stuck here. No, you see, we put our faith and hope in these things, right? We put, it says the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. We are going to age. We are going to fade. It says it withers the grass. Its flower falls off. The beauty of its appearance is destroyed. We can cling to our youth, but that is fleeting as well. We can cling to our appearances, but those are fleeting as well. We can cling to, to success, but that is fleeting as well. We do not protect those things by our earthly resources. That's why it says in the end of that verse, so too, even so, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. What is he trying to say? He's saying, whether you're poor brother, rich brother, those things are fading away. You don't somehow secure them any longer because of your wealth. First Peter 1.4 says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. When the king of kings says, I have reserved this for you, you can guarantee when you show up, it's going to be there. He has reserved that for us. If our earthly position is transient, then our heavenly spiritual position, by tr contrast, is secure, reserved in heaven. And that leads us to our fifth insight, which is how we respond to trials, is that we live with an eternal perspective. 
Once we recognize that our earthly position is transient, we can live with an eternal perspective. Reread verse 12 with me together. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He says, fortunate is a man who perseveres under trial. Put that on a t-shirt. See if you can sell that one. Put that on your coffee mug. Blessed today, persevering through trial, right? That's not the way that we think about them in our humanness, in our fallenness. But that's what he's, he said. He has said, blessed are you. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. You know, it's interesting to me um, when we look at this passage, when I get to verse 12, my mind immediately goes back to verse 8, right? There is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. But in verse 12, there is a blessed man persevering under trial. And the thing that I think about when I look at this passage is that, let's be clear, you do not persevere under trial by being a double-minded, unstable person. You, you don't persevere under trial by every day waking up being like, ah, let's see what's going on today. And let my circumstances blow me around and move me around today. We persevere by being single-minded and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, Jesus came and he lived and he endured the cross, despising the shame. Real quick, if you think about most of the trials that Ben Scarborough has in this life, I can tell you how most of them come. They come because of Ben's sinfulness, because of Ben's foolishness, because of Ben's incompetence, because of Ben's general ignorance. Like Jesus was perfect and he endured them, despising the shame. He is a perfect example for you and I. When we are suffering in trials, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith because he endured all that for us. And he has given us an example of how to follow and persevere under trial. This word persevere is a present active verb. What does it mean? It means that you and I are persevering right now. We're enduring right now. We're bearing up under right now. And we will constantly be doing that until Christ has conformed us to his image perfectly in glory. Not only that, but this persevere is the same word endurance that we see. It's the same family of words that we see in verse 3 and verse 4. So that uh, persevering under trial, verse 3, the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result. God is using our perseverance to press us on to Christ's likeness. That same endurance that we get when we consider it joy as we see in verse 2. It's that perseverance that allows us to be approved and confirmed to be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. That's what that testing is. It is testing us, confirming in us that which God has already done, that which Christ has already done in us. We persevere because of what Christ has done. Not because of our circumstances in this life. We don't press on because somehow we've got the, we've got the fortitude, we've got the skill set, we've got the grit, we've got the financial backing to do it. We press on, we persevere because of Jesus Christ. He says, once he has been approved, he will receive the crown, that crown of life. That word approved, by the way, is this very similar word to the word testing in verse three. There's all these connections here, the testing of our faith, that testing that proves that we are in Jesus Christ is the same thing that we see here in verse 12. He says, he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. It's a testing that approves. It is a testing that confirms that something is genuine. It's kind of like when you go in that jewelry store. I actually did it once, and I sat there with a the little guy with a thing in his eye, and he looked very professional as he looked at some um, 
ring or whatever, and there was, there was a diamond in there. And he looks at it and he's like, yeah, it's real. I'm like, okay, right? Like, I trust you. But, but he, is, he didn't somehow look at it and it became a diamond because he looked at it with his special glass. No, he looked at it and he confirmed that it was a diamond because he has the skills to do so. And Christ confirms in us through perseverance that we are his children whom he has bought by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Quick example. If I were to go on my social media profile and I was going to say that I was a world-class athlete, professional runner, fastest man alive, this side of the Mississippi, some of you would chuckle. That would be an okay response, by the way. But some of you would say, prove it, because this is easy to prove. We would go outside, we'd find two of our biggest fans, or just any two people that would actually show up. We would walk off 100 meters, we would get a fancy thing like a roll of toilet paper to kind of you know, roll it out as a finish line. We would stand over here, you would hold it over there, and someone would, in much pomp and circumstance, say, go. And at that moment, maybe the second moment, the charade would be up. And you would think to yourself, I bet that man is faking a leg injury. And you would be wrong. I would have a real leg injury. Because you see, I am not a world-class runner and it would be apparent to all immediately. Now, the race did not make me a runner. It tested to see whether I was a runner or not. These perseverance, when you endure, it is God confirming in you that he has bought you. Because let me tell you something, if God has not bought you, if he, you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if he has not put his Holy Spirit inside of you, you have no hope of persevering. I have no hope of persevering. I do not persevere in this life through my own grit. I persevere through the Spirit of God in me. 1 Peter 1.6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says those sufferings, those trials, they have tested you so that they may be found to result in praise and honor. You've been tested, you've been approved to receive the crown of life. Praise God for that. Praise God that he has bought us. 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The suffering and trials God uses to confirm in us, to remind us that we are in Christ. They strengthen us. They refine us. They make us more into the image of who he is. They prove that what Christ has done in us, and they also prove what God has promised. We see that in verse 12. It says near the end, has promised to those who love him. Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. Pastor Dusty has been reminding us that through Hebrews that in case we were unsure, when God promises something, he does it because he promises it on the basis of his own character. And when God promised long ago that he gives the hope of eternal life for, those, for the faith of those chosen of God, then we can put our faith in that. 2 Timothy 4 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Verse eight, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To those who have loved his appearing, verse 12 ends this way, has promised to those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Do you love your savior? Reflect on the last 24 hours, the last 48 hours, the last week. 
How have you demonstrated your love for your Savior this week? He says, I have this promise for those who love him. Do we love him enough to glory in the midst of trials? Do we love him enough to trust him when it's not going the way that we think it is? Our circumstances, we wish that we were on this end of the spectrum versus that end of the spectrum. Do we love him enough to follow after him, to glory in him in the midst of suffering, to boast in him, to put our confidence in him? Is that the love that we have for our Savior? You see, there's going to be trials and we're going to need joy. There's going to be trials and we're going to need to recognize that our refinement, that they are for our refinement to conform us to the image of Christ. There are going to be trials and sometimes we're going to be weak and we need wisdom from God and we need to call out in faith without any doubting. There are going to be trials and they're going to challenge us through our circumstances that are not the way we desired. And they're going to challenge us to think that somehow if our circumstances were different, we would love God more, we would obey God more. Instead, those trials should cause us to glory and boast in our spiritual position. There are going to be trials, but they're going to be temporary. They're going to be transient, but our hope of life in Christ is eternal. That is what God is reminding us, that he has given us a crown of eternal life. If you are suffering through trials right now, as I know you are, if you are in Jesus Christ, because God's word has said that you are, you're blessed. You're blessed this morning. You and I are blessed because we have a sure and secure savior that regardless of what is happening today or tomorrow or next week, we can put our boast and confidence in him. We can know that we will endure because his spirit will strengthen us to persevere through these trials. We're going to wrap up in just a minute, but one of the ways that I would challenge you this week is to think about one area of your life that you're putting your confidence in that isn't in Christ. Share that with a brother or sister. Share it in Christ. Share it with a spouse. Share it with someone. Say like, hey, this is something I'm holding on to. I need your help. I need you to pray for me. Because as we were just reminded a minute ago, sometimes our first response isn't to run to scripture. Our first response isn't to run to prayer. Our first response is to say, oh, that wind just took those shingles and laid them on my front yard. Let me go check my bank account. My career just took a turn. Let me go see how long I can. Let me go. And, and we turn to human responses in all these circumstances. And all of those are good and necessary in light of a person who has first put their faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ saying, God, I know that you're going to carry me through this. I know that you're going to allow me to persevere. I know that you're going to refine me through this. And I'm just saying first and foremost that I love you and I want to obey you and I want to endure. Help me to be wise as I do that. If you're here today and you're not sure about any of this, the word of God declares that there is one living and enduring, unfading thing. And that is salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. There's a lot of people in this room that would love to chat with you about that. Just elbow them afterwards and say like, hey, what is this, what is this all about? What's this unfading thing? Because right now everything in my life seems fading. I would love to know what that is. I would love to know who Jesus is. I would love to understand what it means to live for him and to love him. But for those of us that are in Christ, in order to live what we learn, let's consider three things as we wrap up. The first one is this, what are some practical ways in which you can glory in your spiritual position this week? We already shared some of those. We talked about contentment. We talked about prayer. We talked about thanksgiving. 
I would challenge you not just to have that have been an empty thought exercise. That was good. We had a good answer when asked. We raised our hand. We answered the question. We got a participation award at the end of class. No, what does it mean this week to go out and practically glory in your spiritual position this week? Think about that. Pray about that. Share that with someone else and find ways that we can do that. Glory then, brother, sister, whether you be of humble circumstances or rich circumstances, glory in your spiritual position in Jesus Christ. Number two, what aspects of this earthly life are you holding on to and need to give up for the sake of Christ? Maybe there's things that you're holding on to you need to give up. Maybe not as radical as when, you know, the Lord says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. But maybe so. There's been things in my life that I've had to just eradicate because they were areas of sin for me, right? Areas of temptation. They just had to be gone. But maybe it's just, Lord, I just need to not put my confidence in that anymore. I need to not put my boast in that anymore. I'm, I'm boasting in my success. I'm boasting in my career. I'm boasting in how my kids are turned out. I'm boasting in all these things. And I need to give them up for the sake of Christ. I need to give them to you to trust you and to continue to be faithful. Doesn't mean we become faithless. We continue to be faithful, but we entrust it to our Savior. And lastly, where are you struggling to persevere in the midst of trials and how can you pray for strength to endure? James has declared that this testing will occur, occur, this endurance has its perfect results that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Where are you lacking this week? Where are you struggling this week? Find someone, say, I need you to pray for me. If you don't have a habit of doing so, there's a couple of men in my life that I, I meet with on a regular basis. And often we just say, how are you struggling this week? How do you need encouragement? How do you need prayer? Some of them I've been doing this weekly for six years. Some of them I've been doing it for a much shorter time. Find someone, say, I need you to pray for me. Because outside of Christ, we have nothing to boast in. We have nothing to glory in. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. By the way, when we boast in the Lord, this is what we get. This is the Lord that we get. This is who he is. I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. That is the Savior that we love. That is the God that we serve. He is a God of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. He loves you. He's just. You don't get to say with him, you don't understand, or, nope, God, I think you got it wrong that time. I think you interpreted the facts incorrectly. He's perfectly loving. He's perfectly just. Exercises lovingness, kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. That is what he wants. He wants us to be righteous before him. He delights in these things. My challenge to us this week is that we would not be the doubter of verse 8. Don't be the doubter. Don't be unstable. But glory in Jesus Christ. Boast in the Lord Jesus Christ this week in his living and enduring word. Let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have given us a word that is sure we thank you that, Father, regardless of our circumstances, you have given us all the same command, and that is to glory in our position in Christ, to glory in our heavenly position, to glory in our position that transcends the affairs of this life. 
Father, all of those things are fleeting. They will all pass away. They will be burnt by the sun, thrown here and there by the wind. Father, but your word is enduring. The inheritance in Jesus Christ is unfading. It is imperishable. Father, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Father, I just pray that for each of us, that if there is anything that we are holding on to, any circumstance in this life that we would glory in, that we would boast in, that we would put our confidence in more than in you, more than in your son, more than in your word, Father, that you would point that out to us, that you would refine us, that you would lead us to a place of repentance so that we might walk in obedience in your name. We ask all this because of your blessed son, Jesus. Amen.